0: Luke 18, 9 through, verse 9 through 14. He also told this parable to, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector."
1: Well, I want to begin by introducing you to a friend of mine. Her name's Amy, and uh, Amy's not her real name, but this is a real story. Amy is a girl who grew up in a very conservative evangelical house, and she was a part of a very conservative evangelical church. And during her upbringing, she lived in uh, what you would probably rightly call a Christian bubble. She didn't really have any relationships with non-Christian people. And in fact, her parents protected her and shielded her, From just those kinds of relationships because they didn't want any bad influences in her life. And so after graduating high school, Amy went off to one of our state universities here in Texas and developed great relationships with all kinds of funny, amazing, intelligent, charismatic people. With one catch, none of those funny, amazing, charismatic, or intelligent people were Christians. All of them were non-Christians. Furthermore, a lot of Amy's friends that she had grown up with in her home church that claimed to be Christians, when they got to school with her, went off the deep end. They acted in a way that is very obviously contrary to what it means to follow Jesus. And furthermore, they treated Amy rudely and uh, began to act just really like complete crazy people. And so after one semester at school, Amy came home. For the Christmas holidays to celebrate Christmas with her family, and Christmas Eve came along, and it was time to go to church. And Amy said to her mom, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go to church. And her mom was a little bit flabbergasted at Amy's response, and she said, Why? And Amy responded to her mom by saying this The coolest, and the nicest, and the most interesting people I've ever met, Mom, are the friends that I've made this semester, and none of them are Christians. And in fact, the Christians that I know at school have been harsh and rude and hypocritical to me. And I don't want to be a part of that anymore. If Christianity is the right religion, Amy said, why are the nicest, kindest people I know non-Christians? And moreover, why are so many Christians such hypocrites? That's a very real story that I've seen in my life and that I imagine many of you have seen in your lives because it's a story that's repeated all over the country countless times every year. And it's one way to approach our final defeater, which is the problem of hypocrisy. Another way to put it, the problem of Christians. The problem of hypocrisy, which is basically this. If Christianity is true, why are Christians such hypocrites? Wouldn't you think that they would live better lives if their faith was real? Wouldn't you think they would live juster, holier, kinder lives if their faith was true? You know, if you've been around the church long enough, and if you've been around Christians long enough, then you've surely, surely dealt with this defeater. Hypocrisy. In fact, if you've been around the church long enough, I can virtually guarantee that you will have encountered toxic, toxic Christianity and toxic Christians who make this charge of hypocrisy come alive. Friends, this is a real problem. It's a real problem that Christians have. What is hypocrisy, after all? You know, hypocrisy is more than just falling short of some standard. Hypocrisy, rather, is the practice of claiming certain moral standards or beliefs to which one's behavior does not conform. Hypocrisy is the practice of claiming certain moral standards or beliefs to which one's behavior does not conform. And no one likes hypocrisy, right? No one likes hypocrisy when they see it. It's sanctimonious. It's patronizing. It's arrogant. Maybe that's one of the biggest reasons why you can't be a Christian. You know too many Christians. Maybe that's one of the reasons that you struggle with the faith. You're okay with Jesus, maybe... You're okay with a lot of Jesus' teachings. You can handle a lot of good Christian theology, but you just can't abide the adherence of Christianity. Maybe you agree with what Gandhi famously said. He writes, I don't reject your Christ. I love your Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are not anything like your Christ. What can we say about that defeater? Well, we want to take it seriously. We want to honor those who struggle with this exact issue. Some of you may be here today, and if you are, we're glad you're here. Uh, As we've tried to do throughout this series, we want to do our best to engage with this defeater. To do it with honesty and with authenticity, with speaking the truth in love, as Paul calls us to do in Ephesians chapter 4. So I want to make three points for you this morning as we consider the problem of hypocrisy. And we'll use this Luke 18 passage in just a minute as a guide for us. So here's the three ideas, the three points, if you want to take notes or if you just like to have an outline in your head. We're going to look at the, the extent of hypocrisy, the root of hypocrisy, and the healing for hypocrisy. Extent, root, healing. So first, I hope it goes without saying to those of you in the room who are Christians that this is, as I've already said, a real problem. Hypocrisy is a real problem. And you know what? Perhaps the first thing a Christian should do when this defeater comes up is very simply to own it. Yes, we are hypocritical. Yes, I, I am hypocritical. The reality is hypocrisy extends to every church and to every Christian alive today. But I want, I want you to take one step further with me as we think about the extent of hypocrisy. Yes, all Christians, to one degree or another, are hypocrites. We can give that point. We'll grant that. But I want to argue that the extent of hypocrisy does not end with Christians. In fact, I think that if we're honest, we have to admit that all of us, all of us are hypocrites, irrespective of our particular faith commitments. Hypocrisy, I would say, is not just a problem for Christians. Sure, Christians can be, in particular, sanctimonious and annoying about it. I agree. I also agree that that's especially aggravating. But the rub is this. Anyone with any sort of moral commitments, with any sort of a self-conscious view of what is right and wrong, that is to say, everyone on the planet, has to wrestle with his or her own failures to live by their professed standards. Everyone has to wrestle with their failures to live by what they say they should live like. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, writes about this. In Romans chapter 2, Paul is arguing that every human being falls under the judgment of a holy God. Every human being is seen by God as unrighteous, as unworthy of living in God's presence. Both religious people and irreligious people fall under that condemnation from a just God. And Paul says of religious people in Romans chapter 2 that they fall under judgment because they're all hypocrites. Our non-Christian friends, and you if you struggle with this, are right to a certain degree Christians are hypocritical. Listen to what Paul writes. You who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal Parenthesis, yes is the answer. Yes, okay. Um, You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? The religious people don't live up to their own stated convictions. They don't obey the law of Moses in this instance. But, but, Paul also writes about the irreligious. Listen to what he says in verse one, in verse 15. Gentiles, irreligious people, Show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse them. You have no excuse. Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Anytime we render a moral judgment, which all of us do countless times every day in various relationships, we are actually being hypocritical. Because none of us, Christian or not, can live up to our own moral standards. You know, in Western literature, I don't think anyone has illustrated this point better than Jane Austen. In virtually all of Jane Austen's books, she has a significant section of that novel dedicated to the religious hypocrisy in particular that she saw in Victorian England. And one of my favorite examples of this is in Pride and Prejudice. And uh, you'll be familiar with this scene from the miniseries or the movie or the book or whatever it is that you've encountered Pride and Prejudice through. It's when Mr. Darcy is attempting for the first time to um, propose to Elizabeth Bennet. And he's realized that he loves Elizabeth Bennett. But Mr. Darcy is a very high-class British man. And he basically lays out before Elizabeth a long list of all the reasons why it would be a terrible idea for him to marry her. Um, He personally insults her background, her family, and her money. And one of the reasons I love Elizabeth Bennett is because she proceeds to tell him exactly where he can stick it. And in response... Darcy takes umbrage at what he calls her incivility. It's a perfect example of hypocrisy. He's tore her up right to her face in what's supposed to be a a proposal, and then he gets offended when she says, that was really rude. It's amazing. And we do the same sorts of things all the time. We do and say and live in a way that contradicts what we believe we should do or say or live like. Here's the point. And this is a hard thing for us to really, I think, grasp in our hearts. Before we accuse others of hypocrisy, each one of us should consider our own lives first. Before we get offended at the hypocrisy of others, let's think about our own lives. Think about how it's true in your own life that you can live with hypocrisy. If you're a parent, this is true. You tell your kids to get off of the Xbox. You've been on screens all day as you're scrolling through Facebook or instagram or twitter or whatever else if it's a religious blog it's still hypocrisy (laughs) you tell your well i'm going to stop with the parent stuff i feel guilty enough already um you can see how this is true as an employee you know you can't stand the pride of that one person on your team because it offends your pride you can't stand that they're getting credit because you really want to get credit You don't like it when people talk bad about you to other people and you don't like it so much that someone did this to you that you do the exact same thing to them in a different relational context. If we spent 20 or 30 minutes together talking, we could come up with innumerable ways in which we're all guilty of hypocrisy. No one lives up to their own moral standards, whether they're a Christian or not. To some degree, we all live double lives. To some degree, we all claim to believe one thing, but we live in a way that's contradictory. So can we just assume some common ground here? Whether we're Christians or not, no matter what we think about faith, let's assume that this is true for all of us. I think we have to do that. I get it that sometimes Christians beat people over the head with their morality. And I get that that makes hypocrisy even more intolerable. But the extent of hypocrisy goes through all of us. Why? Why is that true? Let's look at that second, the root, the root of hypocrisy. Jesus tells a story here in Luke chapter 18 that goes a long way to showing us why hypocrisy is universal to the human condition. And this is such a provocative story. Um, This is a story that should actually offend most of you. In fact, this story can actually be traumatizing. Look at who Jesus is speaking to. Who's his audience in Luke 18? Verse 9, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Then he tells us about two different men who in some ways are very similar, but in other ways are very, very different. These two men, the Pharisee and the tax collector, are similar in that they at least attend the same church, right? They go to worship at the same place and at the same time, so they're both religious, There are also men that probably would have been fairly well-known in their community. They're fairly easy to spot. They're both praying, exercising in a common religious practice, and praying to the same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our God, the only true God. But in other ways, these men are quite different. Notice that the first man, the Pharisee, is not at all afraid of being noticed. I mean, this is the kind of guy that has his name etched in his own pew on the front row of the church. If you don't get that joke, thank God. I'm so glad you're here. Um, This is the guy that stands by himself and prays out loud. But the second guy, the tax collector, Jesus tells us he stands far off. And then secondly, the Pharisee's prayer, if you'll notice, is almost entirely horizontal in focus. He's almost completely concerned about himself in relation to other people. But on the other hand, the tax collector's prayer is almost entirely vertical. He's only concerned about himself in relation to God. Now, don't let your familiarity with this story steal away the power of the punchline. It's easy for you and for me to read this and to think of the Pharisee. What a hypocrite. What a hypocrite. And to think of the tax collector. How commendable is that? What a humble guy. But I would venture to guess that none of us would have thought that if we knew these people. None of us. And that's the entire point. None of us would have had these reactions if this were real life and not just a story, because this Pharisee, you see, he's well respected. Jesus tells us that he tithes, he fasts, he's deeply, deeply pious. He goes to church every week. He's theologically astute. He's set apart. This is the kind of person, if I'm being honest, that you want to build a church around. This is the kind of person that if you're full of them in your church, your budget's going to like quadruple. This guy's probably an elder. This guy's got some authority. He's impressive. He's a spiritual rock star. But the tax collector, on the other hand, has got to be one of the most hated and despised people in all of that society. And the reason is because he was a crook. He skims off the top of the taxes he collects for the Romans. And moreover, he's a traitor. A traitor to his people, having sold them down the river to line his pockets from the empire. His God definitely is money. He's most likely lost many friendships because it made him a few extra dollars to cheat that person. So make no mistake about it. Listen, what Jesus is saying here is highly highly offensive for good people. And good people should resist this story if they're reading it rightly. In fact, good people should resent. They should resent this story if they're reading it rightly. What is Jesus' story meant to tell us? Here's why it's offensive. Jesus is saying that sometimes your character is a greater barrier to knowing God than your vice's. Sometimes your character is a greater barrier to knowing God than your vices. What does this story mean? It means that it's precisely because of this religious man's success that he is lost, not saved. How can that possibly be? Well, here's why that's the case. It's because the default mode of the human heart is self-justification. Verse 9, Jesus is talking to those who trust in themselves. And when we trust in ourselves, we treat others with contempt. Hypocrisy and self-justification go hand in hand. In fact, hypocrisy is one of many symptoms of the default operating system of every single one of our hearts. A desire for self-salvation a desire for self-justification, a desire to trust ourselves and our efforts and our abilities and our character, first and foremost. That's why That's why the Pharisee in the prayer focuses on how he's not like others. It's why he separates himself. It's why he separates or sets himself apart from, quote, sinners. That always leads to hypocrisy. That's where hypocrisy comes from. Why? Because none of us can really do this. None of us can really separate ourselves from others morally. At least not before the real God. The only one who counts. The judge of the world. None of us can really secure self-justification. None of us is really any better off before God than anybody else. No matter how far ahead we may be in reality... On the horizontal person to person playing field, we can never get ahead with God on our own. And so, because we all fail in self salvation, we all inevitably fall into hypocrisy, into pretending to be something that in reality we are most definitely not. I mean, the word hypocrisy comes from the stage. It comes from the ancient world when actors and actresses would literally use masks to play their role, to be their character. The way of the Pharisee, the way of the hypocrite is to wear many masks before others and even before himself or herself. But God sees through everything. God is not fooled by any of our religious masks. The difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector. The difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector is not that the Pharisee is a hypocrite and the tax collector is not. The difference is that the Pharisee doesn't know that he's a hypocrite and the tax collector is all too aware. The difference is that one is spiritually blind while the other has been given spiritual sight. Self-righteousness is the root of hypocrisy because self-righteousness is, as Paul Miller says, like bad breath. Self-righteousness is like bad breath. Others can smell it, but you can't. So what does Jesus teach us about the root of hypocrisy? He says all of us are exactly the same in that none of us live up to our own ethics and morals, much less God's ethics and morals. We all need healing for hypocrisy. We all need our eyes open. That's the point of Jesus's story. So let's look at that last. We've seen the extent of hypocrisy, it's universal. The root of hypocrisy is our own Self-righteousness and attempts towards self-justification and lastly the healing Jesus's message is that we're all hypocrites. We're all hypocrites But there's more He shows us the way to healing here He shows us the way out of the problem of hypocrisy the way to change Can I put it bluntly? The reason that you see hypocrites all over the place in churches is because the church should be full of hypocrites The church should be full of hypocrites, but it should be full of hypocrites in recovery. The gospel is for hypocrites. That's why the church is full of them. And if that's true, you have to hear this. When you run into hypocritical Christians who just drive you nuts, when you run into hypocritical Christians that make you think, I want no part of whatever they believe, When you run into Christians who are arrogant and haughty and spiteful, you must understand that this attitude does not come from these people living out their faith. It comes from them misunderstanding their faith, just like the Pharisee in this story did. Hypocrisy is not a result of Christianity. Hypocrisy shows our ongoing need for Christianity. Will told me a story this week that I'm just... Crediting crediting him for but i'm probably not going to credit it for you next time because this is a great illustration So i'm stealing it Um, he was telling me about an australian ministry that attempted to make this point and uh, they acquired a What I guess professional musicians consider to be a near perfect piece of music that had been composed by bach some centuries prior And uh, they had two people play this piece of music in a public setting. The first was a professional cellist And the cellist played through the piece of music just beautifully. And it was an amazing thing to hear. And then the second person was someone who had been practicing cello nonstop for the last week. But before the last week, had never touched a cello in their lives. And as this person sat down to play Bach's piece, you could kind of make out the tune a little bit. But in reality, it was a mess. But it was clear... The problem was not with the tune. The problem was with the player. And you can think of faith in the same way. The failure of adherence to perfectly live out the teachings of Jesus does not, therefore, nullify the truth of the teachings of Jesus. The failure of Christians to live like Christ and to live out the teachings of Christ does not, therefore, mean that the teachings of Christ are not true. The problem isn't with the tune. The problem is with the players. You know, this defeater might be the best one of all of the ones we've looked at for getting people into a conversation about the gospel, about the core of Jesus' teaching and work, because the healing for hypocrisy is something that all of us need. And what is the healing? It's to have our eyes opened, it's to have our eyes open to our own self righteousness, to what this Pharisee missed, but the tax collector gets. The cure is to see ourselves rightly, just like the tax collector did. The cure is to pray. Verse 13, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Christians never get past that prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In fact, Christians must never get past that prayer. G.K. Chesterton, the 20th century essayist and Christian thinker, once responded to an article in the London Times. And the article in the London Times asked, what's wrong with the world today? Chesterton sent a letter to the London Times and his response simply said, dear editors, I am sincerely G.K. Chesterton. The answer to hypocrisy is to realize what we're really like. That's why I said a minute ago that this is a story that we're going to resist and resent. You know you're starting to get grace when you get resentful of this story. You know you're starting to get grace when you resist what Jesus is saying here. Why? Because this story is an indictment of our entire lives. It's an indictment of our whole lives. We don't like this tax collector's acceptance because we see what it means, at least if we get it. It means that we have to accept that there's nothing that we can do to validate our lives ever. No matter how much money you make, no matter how well your kids turn out, no matter how successful you are, no matter how people love your preaching and your church, we can't do it. We can't validate our own existences, and that is terrifying. It means that our true condition is one of utter helplessness. Our true condition is one of utter helplessness, and so it's scary. But as we wrap it up, it's also freeing. It's incredibly freeing because accepting the helplessness of our true condition is the only way into life. It's what Jesus is saying. It's the only way into salvation. It's the only way into forgiveness. Listen, the way of hypocrisy and the way of religion and the way of the world is this. The good are in and the bad are out. So go for it because God helps those who have helped themselves. But the way of the gospel is is that God creates new people. He doesn't want good people. He creates new people, and the humble are in, but the proud are out. That's why Jesus concludes in verse 14, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What's the answer to the problem of hypocritical Christians? Well, the answer is an invitation to know the real message of Jesus, to know the gospel The central message of the whole Bible is that we can only have a relationship with God. Every one of us can only have a relationship with God by sheer grace. Knowing God is a one-way street. It goes from God to us alone. We know God and we have life with God because of his undeserved love for us. Our moral efforts are way too feeble and way too falsely motivated to ever merit salvation. Tim Keller puts it like this. He writes, the mistaken belief that a person must clean up his or her own life in order to merit God's presence is not Christianity. This this means, though, that the church will be filled with immature and broken people who still have a long way to go emotionally, morally, and spiritually. So when you see a church filled with hypocrites, there's a sense in which we answer, well, yeah, of course. This is a hospital, it's a hospital for recovering hypocrites. We need an IV drip of humility all the time. It's not for the hypocrite that can't see his or her hypocrisy. It's for the hypocrite that is all too aware of his own failings. So do you see that in your life? That's the question that this story asks of you. The story is not just some abstract tale from centuries past that you can consider intellectually for a few minutes and then move on with your life. No, this is the Holy Spirit summoning you to see what you're really like before God to take off your masks and to run to Jesus Christ. You know, in a sense, everyone in a church should be able to say with Groucho Marx, that great theologian, I would never want to belong to any club that would accept me as a member. I would never want to belong to any club that would accept me as a member. In a sense, that's the entrance requirement for the kingdom of God. Jesus takes you in through forgiveness. As a hymn puts it, all the fitness he requires is to see your need of him. The answer for hypocrisy is the deep love of God for sinners seen in Jesus Christ. Let me close with this quote from Dallas Willard. He writes, we must understand that God doesn't love us without liking us. God doesn't love us without liking us through gritted teeth as Christian love is sometimes thought to do. The unstintingly affectionate regard of God for all of his creatures is the natural outflow of who he is to the core. The problem of hypocrisy is answered by knowing what we're really like, sinners in desperate need of God, and knowing what God is really like, a God of infinite love, ready and awaiting for you through trusting in Christ. Let's pray.